0: Hallelujah. Hey, church, it's good to see you. (sighs) Hallelujah. All right, so I'm charged with bringing the message for today. Are you ready? You know, the difference between an average service and a great one is the hunger in the pews. It has less to do with the worship team, it has less to do with the preaching and and then the sermon and more to do with the attitude and posture of our hearts. So I'm hoping for a great service today. And I think I'm seeing it. I wanna say this, a leader is only a leader if someone is following him or her, okay? You and I, we can have great ideas But unless there is buy-in, that idea isn't going to go anywhere. Leadership assumes that there is a direction and that the leader is taking people somewhere. Hmm? Likewise, a vision is only a vision if there is something that does not currently exist, but is envisioned for reality. It takes action steps for it to become, for it to come to pass. An example of this is um, my boys have shown an interest in music, okay, uh, especially in the rhythm department. Uh, they 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 love guitar, they love the drums, and because of this, I have partnered with their very small expression of interest, and I have this vision now that I am going to help them become musicians, okay. Uh, the vision is to see them become musicians. So how do I act on that? How do I walk and how do I see that come to pass? Let me tell you. Every worship night that we're able to go to that Pastor Muse and, and the worship team puts together, we bring our kids along. And we worship as a family. And I put my son on my shoulders and we make, we trek around over to the drum set. And we watch the drummer drum. And then I, I whisper in his ears, you can do that. You can do that. And I just keep on affirming what his eyes see, I see in him. Another thing is uh, because we don't, have, um, we don't have TV at our house. And so when we do end up showing him something on this device or whatever, it's a it's a rare opportunity. He gets very very excited about it. You want to guess what kind of content I'm letting him watch? Drummers. I'm I'm showing him Latin drummers. I'm showing him Congolese drummers. I'm 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 introducing him to different genres of rhythm. Do 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 do. Actually, the restaurant by our house does that for us. But. Um, I expose him to these different uh, expressions. We even set up pots and pans and and we create our own drum set at home. When he uh, does something that I'm really proud of and we celebrate, we put on some danceable music so that he can celebrate with rhythm. When he needs comfort, when he's hurt himself and I need to pick him up and I rub his back and I pray over him, And as I'm consoling him, you know how I console him? I beatbox in his ear. Why? Because I want his subconscious to link comfort with drumming. Why do I do all this? Is it because he's a great drummer? No, it's because I have a vision. And that vision demands intentionality. Whether he takes on that vision or not, that's another story. But for me, I have a responsibility to be intentional. Likewise, church, we have a vision here at Beza. And that vision is redeeming nations in righteousness. It's a great vision it's a big vision. It's beyond all of us. It's worth attain it's it's worth striving for. It's worth sacrificing for. But here's the thing: in order for that vision, the Beza vision of redeeming nations and righteousness to come to be, it must, the vision must go through the treacherous journey of going from the leadership's vision into the follower's conviction. Only then, when it's transferred from here to there, will it have any hope of surviving, any hope of succeeding. So today, what we're going to talk about is the walk towards redemption. Because this is who we are, Beza. This is the beat that we are walking with. In order to do that, though, I'm actually going to have to invite somebody else up um, who's going to going to do it more more uh, specifically and, and better than me, accurately than me. Um, so who I'm going to invite, actually, to help me preach this sermon is a woman who is compelled by this vision of redeeming nations and righteousness, so much so that she has traveled from across the world to be part of it. She has served faithfully in different capacities uh, throughout the years, but is currently volunteering and championing the Beza Kids movement that we have here at Beza. She is a wife to one man. She has three biological kids and a surrogate mother to many others. Would you please welcome with me my wife, Haley Miller.
1: Good morning, church. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to join you today, and I'm really grateful that my husband uh, is letting me share on this topic of redemption with you. Like Jesse said, my main role uh, right now is I'm raising my three kids, my five-year-old, my three-year-old, my one-year-old, and I'm leading the Beza Kids ministry. I love Beza Church. And I love the vision of this church and what it's given to me, what it's given to my family. And I'm really excited to share more about redemption with you this morning. In a time when corruption is on the rise, when we're experiencing economic convulsions, hardship after hardship, spiritual confusion, disillusionment, our nation, Ethiopia, is in a time where we are ripe for redemption. And I'm here to tell you today that not only is God's redeeming hand mighty, but you are part of his redemption plan. We all have a role to play. We all, we all have a role to play. Psalm 130 verses 7 through 8 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy and with him is abundant Redemption and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So, if redeeming nations in righteousness is our vision, then we must ask what is redemption? How does it function? What is our part? And how do we know if we're on the right track? God isn't just in the business of redemption, but of full redemption of abundant redemption, redemption that was beyond anything we thought was possible. He says he will redeem not some, not a few, but all of Israel's iniquities. So this is for you in a personal way because we all need redemption. We all have parts of our lives that are messy. But I want us to also think about redemption in a national, on a national term. Uh, national redemption, okay? God wants us to have hope in the midst of what seems like despair, hope in the midst of the impossible, hope that God does really have a plan for Ethiopia and that there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. So what does it look like to walk towards redemption, both personally and as a nation? What is a redeemer? A redeemer is a person who brings goodness and honor back to something again. Uh, A redeemer is a person who frees another from captivity by payment of ransom. A redeemer is a person who releases another from blame or from debt. Now, we know that Jesus does the redeeming, but here's what's great. He loves to partner with us as he does the redeeming. We get to be a part of what he's doing. As believers, we're not bystanders. God wants us in the game. So, we get to be a part of people's redemption stories. We get to be a part of Ethiopia's story of redemption. Guys, this is good news. Guys, this is fun. This is why being a Christian is exciting. This driving purpose that we are a part of the redemption that the Lord wants to bring into our lives, to the lives of others, and to this nation. So, Let's take a look at an amazing redemption story. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Ruth, chapter 1. So I just want to set the stage a little bit um, for this story. So uh, we have Naomi. She's an Israelite. And her and her husband travel from Israel to the land of Moab because there's been a famine. So they, they travel, they arrive there, and her husband dies. She has two sons, her two sons take on Moabite wives. They dwell there for 10 years, then her two sons also die. It's a little bit closer to home today. Um, So here's Naomi, she has a dead husband. She has two dead sons and two seemingly barren daughter-in-laws. This is bad. This is despair. This is hopeless. But then here comes Ruth. Ruth, what I love about Ruth is that she was a woman of conviction. She's not going to miss this opportunity that she's been given. She's not consumed with what other people think or what they might say. She's ready to lay down her life for this conviction that she has to stay with her mother-in-law. She was committed to to daughterhood. She was committed to daughterhood. She wasn't going to leave Naomi in her despair. Something inside of her knew that committing to being a daughter was the best thing that she could do. She's essentially laying down her future to follow her mother-in-law. And I really believe you guys that this is the kind of daughterhood and sonship that we are called to live. This completely laid down kind. The road to redemption is not easy. The road to redemption is usually painful, it's messy, uh, it sometimes looks hopeless, uh, but Ruth's decision uh, here by the standards of the world is not the best decision. It's it's not the smartest decision. Um, In fact, in the view of the world, it was probably unwise for her future, but God was in the midst of her decision. So. Let's turn in our Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. We're going to read verses 14 to 16. It says, Then they lived, lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she, Naomi, said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Wherever you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. So Ruth chooses to cling to Naomi. But ultimately, she's clinging to the God of Naomi. There's a desperation when we cling. People will notice it's not the normal way of doing things. So, the key to one of the keys I think to walking towards redemption is we have to cling to the Lord. So, what does it look like to cling? I think it looks like wherever you go, I will go. We have to be willing to be on the move for the Lord, we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zone we have to get uncomfortable over and over again when you look at the story of Ruth you see Ruth stepping into uncomfortable territory she's going to a new land she's going to new people she's going to glean in a relative's field she's going to the threshing floor these are not like comfortable easy things to do I really believe that comfort is one of our biggest enemies if we want to move forward toward redemption, we have to divorce ourselves from our comfort. We have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. The Lord is not that concerned about our comfort. He's concerned about our obedience. Um, so discomfort, it causes growth. And I'm a former athlete, so I kind of like these athletic analogies. So when you exercise and you push your muscles beyond their usual capacity, the muscle fibers, they tear. And they cause soreness, discomfort in your body. And then your body repairs the muscles and they become stronger. And I think it works the same way in the spirit. That when we step out and we do something uncomfortable, that something happens in that space and God comes in and he makes us just a little bit stronger. He makes us able to do just a little bit more. And the more that we take those steps of discomfort, the more we're able to step out for the Lord. The more we're able to do, the more we're able to walk out that walk of redemption. So moving in the uncomfortable, that's right where God wants us. It's not about our comfort, it's about his redemption. So what else does clinging look like? Where you stay, I stay. I think sometimes staying is even harder than going because sometimes having hope for the future but having to stay in our current circumstances requires more faith than it would to go somewhere else. So I don't know, maybe God wants you to stay in that job. Maybe God wants you to stay in that community. Maybe God wants you to stay in that house. I don't know what it is, but sometimes God asks us to just dig in our heels and stay and keep fighting. So what else does it look like to cling? I will embrace the people that God asks me to embrace. I think this is the harder one. (laughs) I like the going I don't mind staying I think this is this is hard we have to embrace the people that God wants us to embrace I like to embrace the Lord I like to embrace God that part's easy he embraces me right back but embracing people that maybe is not so easy for us that's hard work that's tough and I really believe that on our path to redemption people are gonna be involved And I believe that God is going to ask us to embrace people that we never, ever, ever would have chosen to embrace on our own. And I think this morning God's asking us to take some steps in our relationships that maybe we shouldn't have to take, but because God's asking us to embrace, we should take them. So I just wanted to share a little story um, about a woman who was hard for Jesse and I to embrace. But you know what, And why don't you share?
0: Okay, so we're talking about, I will embrace who you embrace. I will go where you go, I will stay where you stay, I will embrace who you embrace. Whew. Um, this uh, story that Haley's referring to was um, uh, about a colleague that I had and was working very closely with for years. Um, This is back in America, and um, I think, of all the people in the world, uh, this colleague and me, I think it's safe to say that there were no two humans more different than she and I. Uh, Let me elaborate. She grew up in the East, and I grew up in the West. She didn't speak my language, I didn't speak her language. Uh, She was an introvert. I am a bit of an extrovert. Uh, our visions were different. Our ways of doing ministry were different. Uh, even the, the, the philosophies of ministry were are to- totally, extremely different things, different ways of approaching God even. And yet we were paired together. And uh, so this, this relationship Guys, I'm being vulnerable before you, okay? Because I wanted to give birth to something inside of you. Uh, It came to a head. There was an explosion. Don't you just love explosions? It got bad. And um, people tried to intervene. People tried to reconcile. She and I were working very hard to try and just keep things together. Um, And, you know, can I tell you something? Sometimes it was even difficult to go to church that's pretty bad considering i was the pastor of the church okay it was challenging emotionally it was challenging to be in the same meetings together to minister together because we were just so opposite and different it was cor- we oh, month after month year after year we were cordial with one another but it was unresolved and an unembraced relationship. So then something remarkable happened. God called Haley and I to come to Ethiopia. It was like, oh, thank you, Lord. And you know what I did? I resigned from my position and quickly began to make our preparations to move here. We were very excited, and we thought, ah, all right. But you know, my after eight months, God started poking and he started saying, Jesse, that relationship is unredeemed, unresolved, that relationship. In fact, he said, you need to go and apologize. And I was like, what? Apologize? I'm the victim here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm grateful to God because our first reaction isn't necessarily the best one, but um, it's not so much necessarily the first reaction that counts, but are actually our action that matters. So eventually, God massaged the idea into me and I went before her and I went into her office and we sat down and I poured my heart out to her and I apologized and I asked for forgiveness and I thanked her for tolerating me. By the way, church, thank you for tolerating me. (laughs) If you have a grievance against me, thank you for putting up with me. I bless you in Jesus' name. Church, what happened in that meeting was nothing short of extraordinary. She received the apology. And not only that, she prayed over me, for me, And what God did in that prayer was remarkable. The Holy Spirit, as she was praying, the Holy Spirit descended in a powerful, powerful way. So much so I could not stand physically. I I was overcome by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Not just that, but that moment actually was, uh, it took me and unlocked my relationship with the Holy Spirit to go to the next level. To the point where the way that I discern and the way that I hear God's voice today, I can actually trace back to that moment in her office when the Holy Spirit came upon me after I had apologized. Here's what's so cool is that my embracing her unlocked the next level of my relationship with God. Okay, yeah, amen to that. Not just that, but our, hers and my relationship were redeemed as well. God made it very clear, the redemption of the relationship is more important than my need to be right. Every now and again, um, in fact, every time we go back to the States, this is just how the redemption has played out. Every time we go to the States, we always hang out with her. And even though we've moved on in a physical way, our hearts are still tied together. And not only that, she is, she's the one who's prophesying over our children. She's the one who's even praying and believing for what God is to do here in Ethiopia and Africa. When God talks and speaks of redemption, he doesn't talk about taking something horrible and bad and then making it neutral. That's not how God's redemption goes. When he talks of redemption, he takes something horrible out of the, 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 the dredges of life and he goes to the extreme and he takes it from horrible and bad into good and blessing and better and better. That's the redemption of God. And that's the redemption that Ruth experienced here in the Bible. Amen? Despite Ruth's difference with Naomi and with going into a people that was not her own, despite um, my difference with that woman and me, when we embraced one another, God is able to do miraculous things. That's what God's redemption is. So we can walk in the same way that Ruth did. I will go where you go. I will stay where you stay. I will embrace who you embrace. This is the clinging behavior. This is the lifestyle of clinging that God is inviting us into. But the question is, how do we know if we're on the right track in this walking the walk of redemption? How do we know if we're on the right track? Sometimes I feel like here as a nation, when we're talking about redemption, I feel like we take one step forward and then three or four steps back. Does anyone else feel that way? That's how I feel sometimes. Redemption, the road to redemption is foggy, it's messy, it's confusing. It is, it is not a straightforward, clear shot. And yet God is asking us to walk it anyway. So how do we know if we're on this right track when it's foggy, it's messy? I'd like to present a couple of vital signs for us to be able to guide our redemptive journey on, with. Vital signs as in, you know, like a doctor takes your vitals when you go for a checkup with the doctor, Right? In the same way, these are vital signs to whether we are walking the path of God's redemption. Number one, if you're taking notes, I'm gonna give a couple of points. Number one, you are actively functioning in a partnership with God. Like Ruth, you are doing what you can with what you have. This is critical for us to be able to partner with God's redemption. You aren't just sitting on your hands, you're doing something with it, with your hands. Does that make sense? Active partnership. You aren't just praying for God's redemption, you're working for God's redemption. Number two, hope is increasing in your heart. This is a tricky one because actually hope Hope is a kingdom commodity that uh, we are called to steward as believers, but hope has less to do with our circumstance and more with the posture of our heart. Let me read to you Romans 15 verse 13. This is Paul speaking to a group of believers in Rome who are either slaves or the very bottom of society. And he says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, we are a Holy Spirit believing community where we actively want to not only partner, but see the Holy Spirit do his work. We want to get out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can do his thing. That's one of the characteristics of our church. The byproduct of having the Holy Spirit actively working in our lives and in our community is that hope abounds. That's what this says. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that hope may abound. And we are filled with joy and peace. It doesn't say anything about context. So actively partnering with God, hope is increasing. Number three, through the Ruth story, we can see that provision will come in the redemptive story. Let's go to Ruth chapter two, verse eight and 10. Here we, we're, here we see Boaz, who is the redeemer, who, she's at his field, gleaning, taking from the, from, the, from, the, from the other gleaners. You will listen, my daughter. You will, not, uh, you will listen, will you not? Do you not? Do not go and glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you, and have you... Um, And and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Provision will be provided when we are walking God's redemption. When Ruth decides to cling to Naomi and the God of Naomi, God figures out how to bring provision. We don't have to know where it's going to come from, but it will come. She was already doing what she could, mind you. She was doing everything that Naomi was telling her to do. And through that doing, God provided the provision. Okay, number three, provision will come. Number four, unmerited favor will manifest as we walk the journey of of God's redemption. Clinging to the Lord, when you cling to the Lord, others will notice because there is nothing casual about clinging. It is radical. And when you do something radical, it attracts radical favor. Did you hear that? It attracts radical favor. Ruth found favor, favor that she didn't even believe, favor that only the Lord could give. In verse 10, after Boaz says this to her, she says, Uh, She fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? This doesn't make any sense. And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me that all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. I want to comment on this. Some people would say Ruth is lucky. She's lucky because she was in the right time, at the right place, and a really rich guy favored her. But that perspective is actually not seeing some things that are at play here. Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me. When she asked, why are you giving me all this favor? It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Something about her commitment to salvaging Naomi's situation gave her favor for her own life as well. If you're in desperate need of the favor of God, take from Ruth's example. If you need favor in your business, favor in your family, favor in whatever situation you find, then the answer to find that favor might lie in you salvaging and redeeming someone else's situation before yours is resolved. When you are in need, I wanna encourage you, maybe challenge you, to go look for how you can fulfill somebody else's. This is how God works his redemptive work. Number four, vital signs that you are on the right track with his redemptive journey, even though it's messy and it's confusing and foggy. Number four, freedom is increasing in your life. To redeem means to buy back. Each of us were born into a sinful world full of death and disease. And yet there is a, when we are on his redemptive journey, freedom increases from habitual sin and from destructive mentalities. God gives you redemptive, through his Holy Spirit, he empowers his redemptive works in you so that you would be more free today than you were yesterday, and more free tomorrow than you are today. That is a vital sign for you and me. Number five, vital sign number five, you leak. You leak. Your redemption leaks to others. I'm gonna say this as a serious point now. (laughs) Your redemption leaks others and others are being redeemed through you. Ruth's redemption wasn't just for her. It was just as much for Naomi as it was for Ruth. Ruth's redemption leaked so much so that it had generational power. Her redemption was the seed bed for a dynastic, kingly lineage. She became the grandmother of King David, the great grandmother of King David. Not only that, but Jesus came through her lineage. Her redemption was not localized, it was globalized. There is something about redemption that we must understand is that it is never meant to be kept in a bottle. It is never meant to have boundaries. It is meant to be broken out. And that's exactly what happened to Ruth here. Likewise, your redemption is not just for you. Your personal redemption will always lead, if you're on God's redemptive path, it will always lead to the redemption of others, that they will be able to experience his redemption. You know, uh, uh, there are different mentalities that I hear as I pastor, as I disciple. Uh, Globally, there are different trends that happen. One that I hear, and I'm hearing more frequently, is for whatever reason, there are, um, I, I hear this phrase, it's just me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus, I don't need anybody else. I've been wounded here, I've been wounded there for whatever reason, so it's just me and Jesus. You know, it sounds spiritual and rather, you know, intimate between you and Jesus, right? It sounds very sweet, but don't get it wrong that's devil talk. You know why? Because Jesus never called you to be just you and Jesus. He called us the family of God. He called us the body of Christ. And when we, are, are, when we keep our redemption to ourselves, then that means that we're not able to function and bring redemption to others. That was never God's plan. Your redemption is for me. And my redemption is for you. We are both benefactors in the redemptive work of God. Amen? So these vital signs can help us. Let me just repeat them really fast. Okay? Active partnership with God. Hope is increasing. Provision will come. Unmerited favor will manifest. Freedom is increasing in your life. And you leak. Now, as we are walking these with these vital signs, as we are walking this redemptive path, I'd like to mention that I think everybody here has a picture of what redemption looks like. I have a picture in my mental, in my mind, my mind's eye, what does redemption look like for my family? What does redemption look like for Ethiopia and for Africa? I have a picture. But can we be open to the fact that it might not look exactly how we expect? Redeeming nations and righteousness might not look exactly how we picture it to be. Can we as a church accept the unexpected? Can we posture ourselves to be ready for the unexpected? You know, the greatest redemptive story in the history of humanity is when Jesus came down to this earth to redeem and to save the whole world. He did that as a man, but you know what? He came as a baby. There were people who had some sort of inclination, some sort of, okay, you know, Mary and Joseph, the the shepherds, they were clued in, Simeon was clued in, But they still saw through a glass dimly. It was still foggy for them. I'm pretty sure the Jews who were actively anticipating the coming of the Messiah did not expect that their powerful Messiah who would save the whole world and save them from all destruction would have to have his diaper changed. What's my point? When God wants to change a nation, he sends earth shakers in the form of a seed. In baby form. Which means, quite possibly, we could be looking for redemption on the platforms of powerful people. When we should be looking for the fulfillment of our prayers in the nursery rooms and play pens. In the midst of the corruption and the violence and the darkness that we see and feel and encounter all the time here, it is only natural that we would question, God, have you been listening to our prayers? On the cusp of a three-day fasting and prayer as a church, God, did you hear our prayers? Especially when we feel like we're doing one step forward, three steps back, one step forward, three steps back. I'm here to tell you that God has heard your prayers and he has already answered your prayers. The question is, are we looking in the right places for that answer? Are we looking in the right places to be able to see it? Could it be that we have missed many of the answers to our own prayers because we didn't recognize it for what it was and we let it pass? You're praying for radical provision. You need provision to come through. And God answers by giving you an idea for a business instead of dropping cash in your lap. That answer must be cultivated in order for it to come into reality. You're pr- you pray for another relationship after a heart-wrenching breakup. And instead of God bringing you that handsome man, He brings you into a community of elderly people who teach you how to walk in relationship so that the next one won't be a heartbreak. You pray for radical redemption for the nation and God gives you enough money to buy colo for the street kids. You're a structural engineer and you apply for all these jobs but you get passed over by other people and you find yourself in this position where you're mentoring structural engineer students. You wanted to change the world with your designs, but actually you train those, you raise up those who go and and shake the real estate market around the country, the housing market around the country. God answers in seed form. God has already answered your prayer. He has already answered it. In fact, whatever redemptive power God is operating in right now is not an answer to your prayer you prayed three days ago. It's an answer to prayers from three decades, four decades ago. So God has answered our prayer, but can we have the, do we have the ability or do we, are we attentive to be able to see it where it comes up? Haley, come on up. Finish it for us.
1: All right. Seed form. God's answers come in seed form. Now I just want to take a minute and I just want to talk to the women in a room, in the room. Because if things are coming in seed form, Women, you have a very important role to play. And without you, we are not going to get where our nation needs to go. There is a reason why God brought the Messiah through the care of a woman. Women have a capacity to carry and reflect the image of God in a unique way uh, because he's specifically given us these nurturing capabilities. He's given us this capability to care for, to protect someone while they are growing. Nurturing, it's who we are. It's not just what we do. It's part of the image of God being made manifest through us. It's part of our identity as a woman. So when God brings the answer to our prayers in the form of a seed, it must be nurtured and cultivated with the care that only a mother can give. So it doesn't matter if you're actually a mother or not. If you are a woman, you carry this nurturing capacity. So who are you raising? Who are you nurturing? Nurture your own kids. Yes, we have to nurture and care for our own kids, but you are called to nurture and care for more than just your own children. We need to nurture those around us, we need to nurture a nation. We need to bring that nurturing characteristic of God's nature and we need to bring it into the realms of society that we are going into. So I wanna just share with you a story of a woman who did this for me. As Some of you maybe knew her. her, uh, She was part of uh, this congregation. Her name is Lillian Kasanga. Now if you knew Lillian while she was here you will understand how she fully embodied this depth of motherhood um, that she carried. Um, She mothered me. She mothered Jesse. She mothered many others of you. Um, And when I met Lillian, she was running this praying moms group. Um, But I wasn't a mom yet. Um, You know, when me and Jesse, when we arrived here in Ethiopia, um, It was just the two of us. We didn't have any kids. Um, And that first year while we were here in Ethiopia, we just kept getting prophetic word after prophetic word after prophetic word about our family. But we've been married six years. We still don't have any kids. And many of you know Jesse. He would experienced this amazing healing from Lyme disease. The most powerful miracle I've ever been up close to but there were still like some residual things and doctors had said some stuff to us that had kind of kind of made us scared about moving forward with having a family but then our first year here he's just dumping the prophetic words you know and so we're just trying to seek the Lord we're just trying to seek the Lord and see what he says and and God um, finally gives us personally a word and it was right around that time that I met Lillian It was right around that time. And she's leading this praying moms group. And she says, hey, why don't you come be a part of of this uh, praying moms group? I'm like, well, I'm not a mom, but okay. Um, So I joined. And I really believe that this was a part of God ushering me into motherhood. And he did it through Lillian. And she saw something in me that I didn't even know was there. She believed I was not only going to be a mom, but that I was going to be a great mom. She saw what I couldn't see inside myself. That is nurture. That's what we are called to as women, to see things in the seed form and to encourage them out of people until they become a reality. So a couple of months later, after I joined this group, I got to go share with Lillian that I was pregnant with Zayma. And you should have seen the celebration. World Cup celebration had nothing on that celebration. Okay. To celebrate people's victories, that's nurture. You guys, we need fathers. Fathers give identity. They give direction. They give leadership. But without the motherly nurture, the seeds won't move to completion. Those seeds need to be encouraged, they need to be loved, they need to be believed in, they need to be celebrated. Women, this is who we're called to be. Daughters first, but also mothers and nurturers. We don't need more critics, we don't need more doubters. Most of us have enough of that going on inside of us. We don't need people's help with that. What we need is we need believers, We need encouragers, and we need people who are going to call out what we didn't even know we were carrying inside. We need the women in this room. Women, I'm telling you, we need you to rise. We need you to answer this call to nurture a generation that is part of God's redemptive plan for this nation.
0: Ladies in the house, did, did you hear what she just said? Church, we are redeeming nations in righteousness, but if God is going to bring his redemptive power through the seedling form, then we cannot wait for the other 50% of our population to get on board with this. A lot of, we hear a lot from men. Ladies... We need you to step up your game in the nurturing capacity because you carry that particular aspect of the character of God. And we need you to do it with gusto because redemption needs nurturing. We won't see the redemption of Ethiopia if we don't have you actively acting out, actively nurturing this redemptive power of God in our society. So I'd like to actually ask Haley to pray and declare over. Ladies, are you ready to receive this nurturing anointing? Are you willing to believe and nurture God's redemptive work from seedling form all the way into adulthood? This is what we are asking Beza to take on that kind of nurturing anointing. Haley, will you pray for us?
1: God, we thank you. God, I just declare right now an increase of the nurturing anointing over the women in this room. God, we thank you for just pouring that out freely this morning. Thank you for pouring out that ability to see what's needed. What's that encouragement, that belief, that love. God, would we, would we have eyes to see, God, what's needed in those moments. God, I just declare a grace to nurture redemption all the way to the end. God, give us grace to keep believing, to keep loving, to keep encouraging all the way to the end. God, we just pray that you would let godly mothers arise to mother Ethiopia in all of her redemption that you're bringing, oh God. So, God, we thank you for giving this out freely. Holy Spirit, would you poke us? Would you prod us? Would you remind us? Would you take control of our mouth and our tongue? Would we no longer be critics, but God, would we be believers? Would we be encouragers, oh God? We thank you, Father. We thank you for the increase of that anointing. We thank you for the women who have gone before us, who carry this, and who are going to show us how to do it even better. So God, right now, we just receive from you that anointing. Thank you for giving it out freely. In Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen, amen. Redemption isn't easy. It's not fair. It's messy. But it takes commitment and conviction. But it is the best thing. Being part of God's redemptive journey is the best thing that we could ever be part of. Amen, church? Pastor Pastor Tesfamalek and Gasha Bebe passing. It's a gut-wrenching news for us. Um, And now that they've passed, they've left behind two wives in South Gonder and and two families. And like Ruth and Naomi, their story needs redeeming. South Gonder and our church there needs redeeming through this. They need to encounter the, redempting, the redemptive nurturing character of God to go from this tragedy to the extremity of better and better and, 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 and blessing after blessing. Amen? So God's going to do that through his people, you and me. So um, church, I want to just invite you to stand as we close. And I'm just gonna pray a couple of prayers for our national redemption that we're all believing for. Maybe you're somebody who's been working for yourself, striving for self. I wanna encourage you to not serve your own vision anymore, but to serve the redemptive vision of God for this nation. How, how might God be inviting you to partner with him on the next level for his redemptive work in our country. Let God speak to you in that. May he remind you in that on a regular basis in Jesus' name. And then this third category that I believe many of us are in where you have said yes to his redemption for your own life, for the country, and you have been working and believing God for the redemption of our nation but you are weary and tired of continually believing for the redemption. I wanna speak this over you. I believe God is creating and actually giving out rejuvenation, a rejuvenated faith to you now. He is rejuvenating and reviving your faith for this country in Jesus' name. God, I declare your grace to be made manifest, to cover over each person here who has said yes to your redemptive plan for our nation and for this continent. Thank you, Lord, for this grace to be made manifest in powerful ways to continue to endure, to continue to believe through the mess, through the fog, through the confusion on this redemptive journey that you have us on. God, I validate That each person here is part of the solution for your redemptive plan. That you are necessary. You are part of this redemptive plan for our country. And I speak the clinging of Ruth over each one of you. That you would be able to say and declare right now, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Who you embrace, I will embrace. Why? because redemption comes through those words. redemptive Redemption comes through the clinging, the tenacity that Ruth had. Now we pray and we pull upon it now for our congregation. In Jesus' name, we are believing you, God, for your redemption to be made manifest in our families, in our workplaces, in our relationships, in our society, in this city, Lord God. We aren't just believing for bad to come neutral. We're believing for bad to go into blessing and and blessing from blessing to blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord God, thank you for revitalizing our faith in your redemptive capacity for our nation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hallelujah. Can we just give God praise and honor? Thank you.